So I will be reading the scripture this morning. This is from the book of the Revelation, chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of, her, of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon. For in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. 
and the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Meg. When I look at this chapter in context of the book of Revelation, I love it. When I look at it by itself, I do not love it. And I thought about giving you the week off of hearing the whole chapter, but so many of you have endured 17 chapters. I didn't want you to miss out on hearing the whole book. And it is important. The book was designed to be read aloud. And um, while the images are sad ones, certainly today, they were presented to John this way to call us to endurance and actually to hope. And you know, the revelation is um, something that we love in terms of the images that it gives. Next week we'll receive communion, which is the Lord's Supper, which is a foretaste of the glorious feast of the Lamb. We love that image, right? We love the image of the new heavens and the new earth, where sin and death will be no more, and Jesus will wipe away every tear. We love that evil will be judged when it's the evil one. Satan must be judged. And yet, to get there, we must also lament. The glorious story draws us uh, into understanding that we're waiting. We've received the good news of Jesus, what we call the incarnation, what we'll begin celebrating next week with Advent. We'll continue I will continue preaching through the Revelation because Advent is just as much about the second Advent as it is the first one. We'll celebrate the birth of Jesus, God made flesh, and we'll also recognize that judgment is as important to our hope as the infleshing of God. We wait. Chapters 1 through 3 of the Revelation are, are a preparation. They're letters to the churches, both commendation and warning. But they also sprinkle in the words about conquering that followers of Christ must be prepared, as we sang, to be persecuted and perhaps even die for him. Much more real to a first century Turkish Christian listening to this for the first time than for you or for me. And yet the call of God on our lives is the same. Chapters 4 and 5 give us a picture of the throne. Chapters 6 through 9 are, are like a kaleidoscope of the world as it is warned that the world is not as it should be and encouraged to turn to God. Chapters 10 through 14, the section I believe we're in now, is a picture of the church in the world prophetically as the beasts under the sway of the dragon lead people away from Jesus. And chapters 15 through 19 are the ushering in of the new age. They are the most specifically eschatological of the book. That's the end times part of it. Apocalyptic is an uncovering Eschatology is the end times. And then in chapters 20 and 21 and 22, where we'll be in a couple of weeks, we get to see these glorious images. And yet to get there, 
in God's providence, in the vision that Jesus gave to John, we first learn to lament. We long for the feast, the best food, the best wine, the best company, where we can talk politics and religion all day without getting nervous. And yet in God's providence and vision, we first learn to sing a very sad song. This is so disorientingly biblical, isn't it? To stop a minute and lament. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of the flood, a story that we love to tell kids because there are so many animals in it, and then they become teenagers, and they're like, now wait a minute. What happened again? Well, the first thing that happens is God grieves. In Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, we have the first description of God's heart, that he was grieved about the rampant wickedness of his people. And I think there, we, we have this relatively arrogant philosophical mindset that's something, maybe not for you, but for some of us, and it's sort of like this, like, why is God grieving? He's God. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. Why doesn't he just fix it and not grieve? Like, why would he grieve? Well, he is a being of not only justice and love, but also dignity. And he is a being that when he reveals his heart to us, it is not only because we need to know who he is by his description, not our own, but also what do our lives look like in light of his. In this case, we learn lament. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you know that this is the most common form of psalm, the whining psalm the complaining psalm, the cursing psalm would all be under this heading. If you've read Matthew chapter 23, after Jesus opposes the religious teachers and pronounces woes over them, not like woe, but like woe. You know the difference, right? That was probably unnecessary. After that, and the, and the woes are a, a mirror to the beautiful attitudes described in Matthew chapter five, as opposed to those are these religious ways of believing we can control God through behavior. After that, Jesus laments Jerusalem. He cries out to God in front of his friends that Jerusalem, in some measure, did not receive his teaching. And here in Revelation 18, we have an angel and another unidentified voice in Revelation leading in lament. Were you impressed by that list of uh, things that the merchants brought? Gold and silver and jewels and pearls and fine linen and purple cloth and silk and scarlet and cloth. This is an exceptionally accurate description of the exports of Rome. And yet she's called Babylon because in the Revelation, when we have an image of something, we're given it in spiritual terms, meaning Rome is the next Babylon. So Babylon centuries before had oppressed people, both through their splendor and through the voice of the beast. Now Rome does it. And for us, we have seen this happen throughout history. As glorious nations rise, glorious as we would esteem it, they also oppress people, either directly or through the way the finance works. And to all watching, it felt fast. Did you catch that? To the angel in verse 8, it felt fast. To the kings, I don't know about, I maybe felt is the wrong word, seemed. I'll say seemed fast. I don't, I don't claim to know what angels feel. To the angel, it seemed fast in verse 8. To the kings, it seemed fast in verse 10. To the merchants in verse 17, it seemed fast. To the shipmasters in verse 19, it seemed fast. And the reason is 
This is another invitation from the Revelation for us to see that the sequencing of the vision has little or nothing to do with the sequences we would esteem it historically. Perhaps all these things are happening at the same time. And yet there are good things that are lost here. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be be heard in you no more. God created men and women in his image, which means that we are makers, and much of what we make is beautiful and good. And yet, in his providence, when Jesus returns to set things to rights, the evil must be extricated from even the noble. And we're not given here a vision so much as we're given a sad song. And this is very human. The reason we sing the sad song is not only because the angel leads us in it, but because to lament is human. As I said before, if I'm thinking about Revelation 18 in context of the book, I love it very much when I was looking at it by itself to think about preaching. I think our musicians, as they were looking for songs to connect to it, felt the same way, like, oh, wow. What, do we, what songs do we connect to this lament? I didn't love it. I didn't love the text in isolation. And then on Tuesday, I got a gut punch of a call. Actually, I made the call to a friend who's making a very, very bad decision and harming a lot of people. Not someone in the church, not someone that even lives in this time zone. We only talked for about 25 minutes because I was not going to validate the decision. I sat in my car for a few minutes. And then I'm tempted to do all the things. I don't know what you do after you get a gut punch of a call. Do you pretend like it didn't happen and go on with your day? Do you seek stimulants, coffee, tea, depressants, melatonin, just go to bed, a drink? Do you seek diversion? I thought about all those things. And I was reminded partly because I thought about fixing it, right? Calling the friend who would... Who would name all the things that my friend is doing, calling another friend, like, hey, he's doing all this stuff, what do you think? And they would judge him, you know, maybe that would make me feel better. I began typing an email in my head, right? I'm the only one who does that, right? After a bad phone call, right? And yet what the scriptures, oh, I mean, from Genesis 6 to Revelation 18, encourage us to do, and it's not the only thing that it encourages us to do, but it is one of the provisions that Christians have, is to be sad at God, to God, about the sad things that we see, about the sad things that we've experienced. I prayed that my friend's teeth would be broken. That's a psalmic prayer. And that's not the end of a Christian's response, but sometimes it really helps us get to the forgiveness point if we're honest with God about what we see. That's why we have the Psalms. That's why God models lament in Genesis 6. That's why Jesus models it in Matthew 23. And that's its purpose here in Revelation 18. Is to remind us to pray like a psalmist. To be honest with God about what we see. And even honest with our preference about what's going to happen. I don't know how many of you have been in my office. Some of you feel like it's like the principal's office, so you're never going to go in there. That's fine. But on the wall, there's a psalm. And it's written in beautiful script. And I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that. But it is one of the darkest chapters in the whole Bible. And if you read the words, you'd be like, are those in the Bible? It's Psalm 137. And the reason that I love that psalm is not because of what it says. The Israelites long for what happened to them 
to happen to their enemies. The reason I love it is it's an act of profound faith to entrust all of life to God as we actually experience it. That's a loose quote of Walter Brueggemann who wrote a book on the Psalms that I'm very indebted to. Are you worried about someone in your life? Maybe you have a role, and you certainly should pray, but in addition to the prayers that we often pray about circumstantial change, or perhaps even about them trusting Christ, which is very important, but in addition to that, have you lamented? Have you been sad towards God about what's going on? Have you been harmed and you don't understand that harm? Scriptures would encourage you to lament. Not only lament, but certainly that's included in the provision that we have, the spiritual practices we have as followers of him. Perhaps you've been harmed and you do understand. And so you're going to speak much more specifically to God about life as you've actually experienced it and what he has and has not done about it as far as you can tell. Lament is part of what we do. Did you note that the angel leads not only John, but also the kings and the merchants and the sailors in being sad about sad things? I don't know if you've heard of uh, the 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, but through some horrific circumstances perpetrated against him by real enemies who believed he was being too gracious in his sermons, he developed a very... uh, I've developed is the right word. He became regularly depressed. And my uh, old, but the pastor of the church that I work for in St. Louis wrote a book on it called Spurgeon's Sorrows. And in the book he says it's wise to be sad about sad things. And as I tell you this, I know some of us are prone to sadness and we don't want to wallow in it, but many of the rest of us don't want to be sad. We think that's not part of life. And I wonder if you see how helpful this is in our daily lives to remember to be sad about sad things because if your relationship with God is in fact the deepest thing about you, then being honest with God frees us not only in relationship with him because we're acting free by being honest with him, but it frees us in our relationships with one another. It takes the sting out of some of our conflicts. If the deepest and most important thing in our life is a relationship with God, then the role of lament is part of how we become whole people. Have mercy on us, Jesus, and make us whole. One of the ways we engage that wholeness that he purchased is to be sad about sad things. So the revelation is honest. The glorious story has a sad song in it because lament and to lament is a human activity. It's also honest. So in chapter 17, evil is conscripted to destroy itself. And every moment that feels like waiting is God drawing more and more to himself. The revelation has as broad and far-reaching and universal a picture of salvation as any book in the New Testament. And loves for us to live in the tension of what will that look like. Well, it'll look like what we read and hear in the book. But as we wait for God to make all things new, not all new things. Sounds like a subtle difference, but it's not. In the meantime, we're taught to lament because our God does not delight in destruction. 
not only does he not delight in destruction, he leads us in the very human activity of being sad about these things and teaches us how to do it. So even as evil is being destroyed in chapter 17, and we'll see more of that next, evil is also lamented because of the dignity of God. I don't know how many of you are Civil War buffs. Uh, If you are, I'll probably get some part of this wrong, and you can tell me what I get wrong after the service, but uh, Colonel, did I get a head nod like you'll go ahead and correct me? That's great. (laughs) I read The Killer Angels a number of years ago, and uh, it's a a very fantastic book. Spoiler alert, Union Army wins. Sorry if you didn't. (laughs) And Colonel Chamberlain at Appomattox, when the Confederate Army surrendered, had his troops salute the Confederate troops. And I wept because war is horrific and yet there is dignity in that move. And how much more dignity is there, our, is there in our God who is just but who does not delight in destruction and leads us not only in seeing it but in lamenting that in the destruction of evil there is a lot to be sad about. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we let these words poke and prod our imagination, as the images of your angel leading John and the kings of the earth and the sailors and the merchants in lamenting the destruction of the great city that collaborated with the beasts to harm so many. We long for you to also give us an image of the feast and the new heavens and the new earth and the end of death and sickness and evil. But Lord, we are so thankful that you walk us there and remind us to be sad about sad things and that your heart is grieved when your people harm one another. Holy Spirit, would you draw near to us even now as we return to song about your promises to us? Would you give us a sense of your great heart that is just and loving and good? Amen.